Hello and welcome to Season 1, Episode 20 of the We Are Speaking Podcast. During each weekly 30-minute episode, we address some of our favorite topics, including American history and culture, government, education, and politics from a Black perspective. We are very glad you are joining us today. The podcast is brought to you by our company, the Team Owens 313 Global Creative Community. We offer branding and marketing services, including online training and one-on-one coaching to independent writers, creative and solo professionals, and very small business owners. You can find out more at our website, teamowens313gcc.com. That's team, T-E-A-M, teamowens313gcc.com. As a free or paid subscriber to the We Are Speaking publication, you can access the podcast episodes through the website or on your favorite podcast player. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. My name is Pamela Hilliard-Owens, and I am one of the co-hosts of We Are Speaking in partnership with my husband and business partner, Keith Owens, who also wrote and performed the intro and outro music for the podcast. And speaking of Keith, Here he is. Hi, Keith. Hey, good to be here again. Today's topic is we're discussing discussing Black English and how it evolved, what's happening with it now, and how some parts of the political spectrum are using some Black English terms as uh, bad terms. And so we're going to discuss how to turn that around. So, Keith, tell us about your experiences as a child. Your mother was a teacher. (laughs) <laughs> and <laughs> and my mother was a teacher. But as, as you were growing up and uh, speaking, how did your mother make sure that, oh, before you even talk about that, one thing that we're going to talk about here is, is the difference between good and bad English and standard and non-standard English. When we were growing up, we were told to speak good English as if black English was bad English. We're trying to change that narrative to from good and bad to standard and non-standard because non-standard is not necessarily black, just I'm bad, just different. So Keith, tell us about when you were growing up, how your mother made sure that you spoke quote unquote, as they called it in those days, good English. Right. And I'll say right here to also, my mother never actually called it good English. Okay. My mother just said, uh, speak correctly. Right, right. Okay. That's all she said, you know, speak correctly, speak. Uh, uh, and when I started varying from that was when she got upset. It mm-hmm. wasn't, uh, when I was a young kid, it wasn't a problem because there weren't, as as I mentioned, when we were six years old, when I was six years old, this is when we moved from the uh, neighborhood was predominantly black to a predominantly white neighborhood. And I went to start going to predominantly white schools when I was in first grade. Well, yeah, first grade. So at that point, there was the quote-unquote black English, you know, and my parents did not speak that quote-unquote black English. My mother, right. like I said, my mother was a teacher. My grandfather was a principal. Oh, my father was an English major. So there, there was none of that. You you may, every once in a while, dad would laugh and say something, might mm-hmm. say ain't something like that. But by and large, they spoke very correctly. So there, that was all I heard. Right. And, and, and the school that I went to, obviously, you know, I went to popular school for third, first through third grade and then was transferred to private school in fourth grade. But even at that time, the, the, the teachers 
that all of that was emphasized the correct pronunciation the 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 way words are supposed to be spoken the kids who were at the school that's what they were speaking so i i started to hear some differentiation in second grade because second half of second grade i was right on the ground floor for integration you know mm-hmm. I, I lived in the white neighborhood but the there were kids who were bussed in from the black neighborhoods in the second half of second grade and our teacher who later our white teacher who later actually got teacher of the year she split our class in half the white half and the black half and she wow. taught the white half but that was the first time but she put me on the white half I lived in the neighborhood even though she couldn't even though she hated me but um, but that's the first time I started hearing you know so mm-hmm. because they know there was a bit of a difference in right. the way the kids talk and I talk but before that got too ingrained then I was my parents transferred me to a public, private school for better education mm-hmm. so it wasn't until long story short it wasn't really until I went <laughs> of all places to, to I went to prep school right um, and with prep school there was my high school for high school you know for school on the east coast and the and the black kids who were in my class, most of them were on scholarship. I was one of the few who wasn't, and they obviously, you know, and many of them came from, quote unquote, the hood. Mm-hmm. You know, that was a re- very different experience for me because I felt like I didn't fit. Right. I didn't know how to speak the language. I didn't, and they and they knew I didn't sound right. <laughs> you know, I didn't dance right. I didn't talk right. I didn't really become accepted until uh, track season because I was mm-hmm. fast. Mm-hmm. And then, but that that whole thing, and so. But once I dove in, and I'll say right here, it was funny because there were other kids there who came from my similar background who didn't dive in like I did. They they were okay to be on the outside. Right, right. And some of them were strong enough where they were still accepted by the brothers and sisters who were from the hood, but who still stayed with their middle class roots. Mm-hmm. They, you know, but they didn't feel threatened. I felt like I didn't fit. Mm-hmm. You know, so the next thing you know, I was go all in trying to wear the hats, the six inch heel, you know, trying to get my language, trying mm-hmm. my language changed. And that's where I, I, that's why I had to give all the background because that's when my, my way of speaking began to change. Okay. And, and it was on, on purpose because I wanted to fit in. Because if, I, if I'm walking around in, in the, in the Afro-Exonian room or with the, with the other black students talking like I talked when I was in junior high school, I wasn't going to get, right. it was just that simple. Right. It was, it was not going to work. Mm-hmm. And, and as some people describe it, it's a matter of, Learning how to be around your own people. Right. Okay. And when most people know certain, when most black folks know a certain term, know what this means, mm-hmm. know what it means when you say this, you know, when you say that, when you say you're not down with this, you're not cool, you're not a, they right. work to certain terms of stays, other ones have changed. But you get to a point where you know what it is even when you don't, <laughs> when you're not old. But if you don't know that, right. then people say, oh, wait a minute, where are you from? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that's, and and so that's where that was my experience. So that was the source of a lot of battles between myself and my mother. Okay. To wrap that up was that I wanted to fit in. She didn't understand why I couldn't speak properly and still fit in. And that that was that. Right. <clears throat> my experience was a little bit different. When I started school, school was almost all white. When I was in first grade, I was the only black child in the, in the class. My first grade teacher hated me hated me. Whenever she spoke to me, you could see the venom coming out of her mouth. My second grade teacher, who was also white, and I'll call her name forever, Miss Pachersky, was just the opposite. She wasn't racist at all. She knew I was the best reader and the best student in the class, and she put me in the center of the class, had me read the class and all, all of that, and she is the reason I decided in second grade that I wanted to become an English teacher. Okay. <clears throat> but then at the same school, as, 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 as every year, more and more white, mostly Jewish kids moved out of the neighborhood, and more and more black people moved in. And by fourth grade, I'll never forget that, there was one white student left in the class. And by fifth grade, there were none. 
And I did not have white kids in my class until I got to high school, until I got to Cass Tech High School, which was a magnet school. And it was, it was so funny because one of the students who was with me in orchestra in fourth grade, they moved out. But then I got to high school, 10th grade, and I was a music student. And who was sitting right next to me? That same kid. And his parents had to pay tuition because they moved out of the city. But if they wanted to go to the best music school and send their child to the best music school, they had to pay tuition. <clears throat> and so he was sitting right next to me after he had left in fourth grade. But my friends, you know, mo most of my friends were black all the way coming up. But it was different because our families and our parents made sure that our friends were middle class and upper middle class. And so we and we all grew up together. Some of us are still friends today. But so it was the people who we, who we who our parents made sure they surrounded us with, and I always tell people our family was not rich and it was not poor. There were some black students whose families were rich. I mean, they had horses, they had the best cars, they went to Europe, they went skiing. Well, they had one child like somebody I know, and they could afford more things. Whereas we had four kids, but we were right in the middle. But all but so were all of our our friends and all of the families around us. So. Again, it was the one thing that I, I guess it was somewhat, not so much calling good and black English, but like your mother said, speaking correctly. Mm -hmm. And the one thing that my, my mother always said, if we, in, if we said, where's the pencil at? She would say behind I the preposition at. My mother said <laughs> and she would never tell us where the pencil was. <clears throat> but then when I started, so that's the people I, was, I grew up around. And so it was just natural that our circle of friends, we all spoke the same standard English. And then when I became a teacher myself, in my years of teaching, I taught in primarily white schools, primarily black schools, and schools that were a mixture of everyone. <clears throat> and as an English teacher and a language arts consultant, I always made sure, and I called it standard English. I told my students, when you're talking to your friends, that's one thing. But when you are, when you are in a different situation, you have to know and learn how to say and use standard English. And it was funny because my 6th and 7th and 8th grade students, they knew Miss Hilliard didn't play that. And if you're going to say something, you're going to say it in a particular way. And so I was teaching them without saying black English was bad. There's two different ways for you to speak. And today we call it code switching. <laughs> a lot of uh, black, pe black people in primarily white working situations, it's called code switching. Because you go to buy in, in, the, in the break room with your black friends, you speak one way. But the minute you get in among everybody, you immediately change your mannerisms, your way of speaking, etc. So our, our, the way we, Keith and I learned to speak correctly or standard English was different, but it came out to be the same. And it's important, I think, to point out that it is important, as I came to learn, to know how to speak properly. Right. For a number of reasons, don't need to go on of where there's employment or whatever, but it's mm -hmm. good to know how to, how to speak properly because that comes in hand and it's important. But it is also important to understand of cultural variances. Right. And it's not just... Uh, "Quote unquote black English," you can you can go to Appalachia, right, and and not understand a word they're saying, right, right, you know, or but like my mother was say in Boston, <laughs> right, know? exactly. You know, the hat fun was the hard fun, but there's all but lang ways of speaking are cultural, and right. what I think people are beginning to realize is that has value, mm -hmm. and I and as a musician, I translate that to music. When you look and listen to lyrics, if all the lyrics were in proper English, right. you have to wipe out half the songs, right. But what way? What makes many of those songs? As attractive as they are, people remember it because the popular music is tied to the popular culture right. and the culture of the river, and, that's, and black music, which is more popular than almost anything else in the world. But that that that's where people 
loved it mm -hmm. because of, because of those cultural references, because of the way that uh, that black people have come to speak, have referred to things, mm -hmm. whether and so many different terms and terminologies, and you begin to realize you can't just keep erasing that like it has no value because mm -hmm. it has tremendous value, and there and there are words that have actually been created and have become absorbed. <laughs> In the dictionary, right, because. right, and you know, I, and maybe I noticed it because I was reading an article online, and I can't remember what the what the magazine was, but they were and the the person who was writing it. And I, and I say this to say it's not just black English, but unfortunately, a lot of the education period. Now, this was a journalist, and the sentence uh, said, and 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 so and so did like like this is what he wrote as a journalist, and they did like this, and they did like no 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 no. <laughs> That you know, that drives me crazy. You know, everything is is like this and like that. You know? And I and I remember going up to see the, who is this person? Where did they learn how to write? When you're inserting in an article, so and so did like this, and so and so did like that, and so so it's it's also denigration if you ask me as a teacher of the educational system. Period. But so that's how and and that's how we did. And most of the, our friends when we were growing up, well, at least when I was growing up. And, and my black friends, I should say, and all the way through, we were, we, it's just that our parents made sure we were surrounded by people who they wanted us to emulate. Right. And most of my parents' friends were professionals. They were doctors, lawyers, teachers, social workers, things like that. Although I did have some friends, my best friend, Annie Green, her father owned a bar <laughs> and worked nights. He didn't get home till three o'clock in the morning. So I had, I had uh, friends whose parents were, were blue collar workers also. A lot of them worked in the factories and things like that. And that was just fine. But the people that we were surrounded with, they, we had a specific right. standard right. and we still are friends with them today. So two things that go along with this. Number one, and I think I'm going to have Keith talk about this first, is the way that, because he was talking about how our words in black English oftentimes come over into the, the greater society. Sometimes as it's positive and sometimes it's negative. And he's going to, the word that is used most negatively and wrong is the word woke as a term. And can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, the word woke, it, it came into usage to basically identify somebody who was conscious. Right. That's the best way to, that's the best way to frame it. If you're, if you're aware of when you're looking at the issues of the day, mm -hmm. I would say, yeah, and whether it's, let's take, for example, abortion. Right. Like, okay, most people on that side of the fence would say, okay, if, if you're uh, pro-choice, you're more woke. That's right. just in general. Right, right. Because the people from, from who use that term would tend to be pro-choice. Right. I mean, if you're for inter integration, racial equality, uh, etc., you're you're woke. Mm -hmm, okay? if, mm -hmm. you know, if you're more on the far right-wing mm -hmm. side of things, you know, you're not woke. It says here that uh, the term woke was officially added to the Oxford English Dictionary in 2017. And contrary to popular belief, it is defined as originally well-informed, up-to-date. Right. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. so, and, and according to the Urban Dictionary, the term describes someone who is aware, mm -hmm. knowing what's going on in the community, like I right. said, related to racism and racism and social justice. So that's a uh, woke. What why, why the reason why the right wing has begun to target this, and this happened se several years ago when they started to really jump on it. Yeah, well, it, yeah because it became... Um, I, even though it's actually been used as a pejorative term for being awake and socially conscious and all that, way back in 1962. Mm -hmm. But then, like you said, it came into the Urban Dictionary, Oxford mm -hmm. Dictionary, right. in 2017. And it really became being used in a greater context with the Black Lives Matter Man, movement, right. which is why the right wing all of a sudden decided... 
Right, right, because right, the right wing, um, right, exactly, mm-hmm. Black Lives Matter movement. That's the, I'm glad you brought that up. Right. That's when they jumped on it. Right. And, and, and of course, why they jumped on that, because the Black Lives Matter movement represented everything they couldn't stand. Right. And also because the right wing Republicans, as we have said numerous times on this show, they don't, they are not running on issues. Right. Because they they're running lose on culture on wars. Issues. Right. right. They're, they're running on culture wars. Mm-hmm. So when you have black people, or Washington, because Black Lives Matter movement has become one of the largest protests in the world. So, right. So they're supporters who aren't just black, but right. Black Lives so matter, matter movement. As a matter of fact, uh, all three of the people, but two of the people who died when that teenager went to Milk Milwaukee, he went somewhere and sh- went with the oh, yeah. AR-15. Right, right. He crossed state lines and he went, I think it was Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Two of the people that he shot dead were white supporters right. of Black, Black Lives Matter. And the, the whole point is that when that, that many people protesting, for those, that's a culture thing. Right. So that's something they feel they can win on. Right, so when right. you start talking about black folks, and what's even more threatening to them, white folks who support those movements. Mm-hmm, it's bad mm-hmm, enough mm-hmm. when you have black people marching in the streets. But when right. you have black people and white youngsters, and white youngsters in rural areas, right, wearing right. black and suburbs, that, and and suburbs all, right, all kind of areas, that's that's something they can target. Right. Uh, LGBT issues. Right. If this is something they can target. Anything that's culture, anything that's a threat to what they call to what they view as uh, it's too much change, basically right, too right. much change that they don't want. They want to go back to you know when basically black folks are swinging from trees, basically. But they when they want to, they, they it's a threat to the natural order. And as a matter it's, of fact, after George Floyd, there were that was the largest worldwide protest. Right, the world. There were people in all different countries speaking against what happened to George Floyd in different languages right, right. and all of that. It's the largest protest in recorded history. Exactly, and, exactly. And, and so, and that once again, that's a culture, right? And that's what scares and that's people what scares because them. It, it attacks the status right. quo. Because and, and also because it's it's this is something that is not. Why? Because they because the Republican Party, as it as it now stands, is basically it's, it's a white nationalist party. That, that that's what they stand by. So anything that is a threat to white nationalism and to white superiority, that's that's a threat to everything that they're about. Right. Yeah, and so that's what they use. That's what they've been using to rally the troops. Right. And and and. I, I liken it to the fact to, to just a few years ago when the right wing said anything that was liberal, okay, right. what was bad, okay, right. R- rather than realizing that the liberals are the ones who made all the positive changes, all the positive social changes in this country. Well, they don't want positive social changes, okay, and so they they really jumped on it that anything that's liberal, all liberals are bad, they need to be killed, as a matter of fact, is what some extreme people say. And so we, we as liberals, had to pull that term back and remind people that being a liberal is a good thing. And that's the thing, because yeah, the biggest mistake that we that we make, like you pointed out about liberal, and the same thing with woke, is that, because mm-hmm. right wing is notorious for that, they'll take a word that's positive, mm-hmm. make it into something negative, and then we go with that. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, I mean, because there are many liberals who are backing away right. from the term because oh wait a minute we don't want to be it's like we need to stand with that and push back same thing with woke so if they don't let them take a word and, and because woke them. means woke of course comes from awake right. and so when you're woke that means you are awakened to what's happening right. and okay you're progressive and, and, and you're a progressive you've, you've been awakened to what's happening socially you've been awakened to what's happening culturally in a good way right. and because the opposite of that is being asleep right so i don't know why well i do know why mm-hmm. but in general, 
why people think being woke is a bad thing because the opposite is being asleep. <laughs> okay, so, but especially people like Ron DeSantis and all of that have really turned the term woke into a bad thing. And, 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 uh, I don't want woke politics and woke this, meaning that anything, what they decide, def, define as woke is learning about all of American history, embracing all Americans, no matter what color, what race, what sexual orientation, whatever. If you do that, you're woke. And on the uh, from, from the liberal's point of view, good. From the Republican's point of view, that's bad. They don't want America to look like America. They want America to look like white nationalism. Right. And and so if you are woke and you are embracing everyone, if you are woke and you want all of American history to be taught, then that's bad. So and right, and I was just going to say that that's that, that's correct. And the other thing is is that what they special in is the dog whistle. Right. Exactly. So, so it's exactly. like many of these people who start running around stomping their feet, saying they're anti they're anti woke and stop woke, they have no idea, idea what, what it, it means. means. What do you mean? Yeah, they have no idea. All they know is somebody said woke, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. they suddenly jumped up because they said, "Oh wait, right, I'm supposed to be protesting because they're woke." Mm -hmm. They have no idea what the woke, what what's under the woke banner, well, all the things you just described that it means being aware, you know, socially aware, etc. That that doesn't matter. Right. All that matters is that they're leaders, which is what DeSantis and them want. They don't want anybody questioning. Exactly. They don't want anybody, you know, waking up. That's why they don't want people educated, because people educated ask questions. Right. You know, and they don't want anybody saying, "Wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. What does this mean? What are you trying mm -hmm. to say?" Mm -hmm. The minute you say that, then that's when they start de demonizing you. Right. Because right. they wait, why are you questioning? You have no right to question. You know, just remember when I say woke, you you're supposed to go out and burn something down. And that's the way they're responding. Exactly. And so we're going to continue this both in the written articles on We Are Speaking and in future podcasts, talking about and trying to get people to take the word back to what its original meaning is. Its original meaning is not anything negative. Its original meaning is positive. And so just like we talk, took back liberal, we have to take back woke and make it stand for what it's supposed to stand for. And speaking of black English, black English has always been around. About a few decades ago, they tried to call it Ebonics. Okay. And they tried to make it so that Ebonics was acceptable in the classroom. And it was a big failure. Back to the same thing about standard and non-standard English. And so now black English or Ebonics is now called African American Vernacular English. Or AAVE. Mm -hmm. And and that term has been around for a while. But now, <laughs> happily, Dr. Henry Louis Gates is has been hired to um, make an official AAVE dictionary with the Oxford English Dictionary. Now, that's big. That's huge. That's huge. That's huge. Say, say that again. He's, he's going to be doing what? Okay. He's, going to, he's, he's in charge of writing a new edition to the Oxford Dictionary with with and having an AAVE section. Okay. Or having it as part of the standard Oxford English Dictionary. And those of us who are English majors, that was our standard, the Oxford Dictionary. Whether in print, which was a size, it was huge. <laughs> the Oxford English Dictionary, it was always on your shelf. That was your go-to. Right. And of course, now it's online. And so recognizing that AAVE is valuable, AAVE is a, a thing, and AAVE can can exist right next to standard English. That's a 
big, big thing. So over the next two years, and the Oxford English Dictionary is abbreviated OED, mm-hmm. and it reached out to do a collaboration with Dr. Henry Louis Gates, who is a historian and a public educator. And the point is to better reflect black people's contributions in, in the dictionary. Mm-hmm. Okay, And so they have grants and, and things like that. And uh, Dr. Gates is going to be leading as the editor-in-chief. And the OED is going to publish an African-American vernacular English dictionary. Wow. So that is huge. Mm-hmm. Hey, talk about that from a journalist's point of view. Well, th- from a journalist's point of view, where it really so because part of when, when you're writing stories as a journalist, it's, we obviously are very conscious of, of what this called proper English. But also as a journalist, you have to be conscious of the way people speak. Mm-hmm. And what is that? And for for example, a good example is a big debate that was uh, taking place in journalism for a long time was capitalization of black. Right, right. And for, and now you have the New York Times, you know, and, capital, and, 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 with, and with, with the APA, right, with, American Psychological Association, which is what editors use. Right, exactly. So mm-hmm. that so that's an example of how that has changed. So I think what Henry Louis Gates, who was a you know renowned scholar, putting in charge, that also helps set the tone and set right. the pace for. Because mm-hmm. oftentimes the editors in a newspaper they don't know. Right, right. You know, okay, they don't know, and and it's, and it's obviously been a case the case for a long time. About there's not enough black people in newsroom, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. that hadn't changed. Right. Ever since I started, that still hadn't changed. But so you have many editors who have no clue mm-hmm. when you're trying to say, no, this is the word I want to use, or this is an acceptable word, or this is the way they say it in this community. Real, real quick aside, when I was a reporter in Fort Lauderdale, I'll never forget, I wrote a story about a, a man from South America who, who loved football. Mm-hmm. Okay, he, but he loved, he, that meant American football. Right, right. Okay, American football. He was South Carolina football. My editor, who, for lack of a term, I pair, considered calling, called himself woke, saw it, figured, oh no, he meant soccer. <laughs> so when the article appeared, I caught all the like because I, he changed it without asking me. Right. And so they said, that's not what I said. That's not what I said. But because the man just said, oh, he's from South America. So he must not, you know, obviously this is what he meant. Well, but if, if you have. Uh, and that's kind of just yeah, humorous aside, but it mm-hmm. points to word, knowing what the word means. What mm-hmm. do they mean when they say this? What does they, when somebody says "woke"? When somebody says they don't mean just getting out of bed. Right. They mean this. When they say somebody says this, they this is what specifically what they mean. So once you have that, that's more accessible. I should mm-hmm. say those of us who are around a variety of people a lot, we may know, mm-hmm. but a lot of folks obviously aren't. So when you have something that's accessible, a document. Where Henry Louis Gates, where you can actually the Oxford Dictionary, right? Where a large number of people can look at it and say, "Oh, okay." Now and I this know is what's this so is. important about this dictionary. This is not going to be a standard dictionary just with spellings and enunciation and, and definitions. It, on purpose, the dictionary will include historical records and wow. give regional and community credit. And what the OED is saying is that American Standard English features words from various cultures. While AAVA, African, African-American Vernacular English, is special because the language was developed, for the most part, within the United States and is completely separate. Not better or worse, just different. And this is what we were talking about at the very right. beginning. And so it's that many words that people think as Gen Z language are usually just AAVE being misappropriated. This is the taking of black culture and the mainstream adopting it and saying it's something mm-hmm. else. When it really came from black people, right? Just like they said, just like Louis Armstrong took the trumpet and made it a completely different thing from the way it's played in in Europe. 
Right. But he can play it. He can play European classical and he can play jazz. And jazz came from the United right, States right. and New Orleans. Right. Just like blues right. came from the Mississippi Delta and the um, Appalachians. Because right. the two of them were very, very close. So what the AAVE is going to be talk about is giving credit to where these words came from right. and making sure that they are African-American vernacular English, not something that some 19-year-old right. came up with right. yesterday. Mm -hmm. Real quick before we close out, but when you're talking about the blues, the blues didn't come from Appalachia. No, no, it, didn't, no, it, didn't yeah. come, it came from Mississippi. Mississippi, right. But you're right, but the other but they became uh, very closely related. Right, you know, the, right. that's what music, I'm saying. Right, mm -hmm. the country music. And when I say the blues, I'm, I, I'm really talking about the musical style. Oh, right. Because if you listen yeah. to some of the blues musical style, it, it came a lot from from the Irish yeah. who were settled in the Appa Appalachia. Yeah. I'm not talking about the blues as, as what blues was meant to be. Right. I'm just talking about when you... Right, right. This country, country, like what we consider country, country music. Now, country, like that, that we used to call hill music. Right, and that's and that's like that's the Appalachian, that's the Irish influence. Right, right? exactly, right. exactly, but, exactly. Um, we've got to get ready to mm -hmm. close up here. But we just wanted to talk about that in case you didn't know that a dictionary specific through the Oxford English Dictionary, which is the gold standard, is right. also developing a separate but just as important African American right. vernacular English dictionary. Right, and we will we we will definitely visit these topics again. But for right now, think about how you can help to make the word woke come back to mean what it's supposed to mean in a positive sense and keep a lookout over the next two years on the development of the AAVE dictionary. Right. All right. And we'll talk to you next week. Talk to you next week.